Progress vs. Parasites by Douglas Carswell Episode 2 The Best of Times Terror Attacks Migration Crises Wars in the Middle East Oceans turned to acid and polluted by plastic Catastrophic changes to the climate Gender inequality and social injustice You don't have to look very far to find evidence that the world's getting worse we seem to be bombarded by bad news. Television is packed with pessimism. Newspapers report with relish about all kinds of calamity. Our Twitter timelines swarm with indignation at the latest apparent outrage. In recent decades, we've been warned about all kinds of impending disasters. In the 1970s, oil was apparently going to run out and a new ice age was on the way. Then, in the 1980s, it was acid rain and nuclear war that were supposed to wipe us out. After that came warnings of overpopulation and epidemics, famine and rising sea levels. Today, it's global warming that's going to get us if an asteroid impact doesn't find us first. But despite all these doom scenarios, the world hasn't actually got worse. In fact, it's been getting better. For most people, there's never been a more comfortable time to be alive than right now. Now, that's not to say there aren't all sorts of instances of individual suffering for refugees in Burma or Syria, or indeed for plenty of people from London to Los Angeles. But for most of us in most countries on the planet, life is better today by almost every conceivable measure of well-being than it's ever been before. For a start, there's a lot more human life on the planet. There are an estimated 7.5 billion of us alive right now, twice as many as there were in 1965, which in turn was double the number living a century before that, which in turn was about twice the number of people that existed in the mid-17th century. But, you might interject, doesn't more people just make everything more crowded and polluted? Don't all those extra people mean less to go around for everyone else? There are not just more people on the planet, but we're better fed and clothed and living in better housing and cleaner cities than ever before. Worldwide, a baby is half as likely to die today as one born in 1990. Infant mortality is down almost 90% in the UK since 1960. The most dramatic improvement has happened in Asia, where infant mortality is now lower than it was in the UK in the 60s. Back then, out of every thousand babies born worldwide, 113 died before their first birthday. Today, that number is down to 32. In 1960, average life expectancy worldwide was 52. Today, it's 71. On average, that means a third more life for everyone. In many countries, like Mexico, where life expectancy was once well below the Western average, it's now more or less drawn level at 75. African life expectancy is up almost eight years over the past four decades. In Uganda, where I grew up in the 1970s and 80s, life expectancy was 40-something and falling. Today it's 60-something and rising so fast it'll soon draw level with Europe and America. Many of the big killer diseases are being defeated. Deaths from malaria are down from 166,000 in 2009 to well below 100,000 today. 
there are now almost no deaths from malaria outside of Africa. Rates of HIV infection, once frighteningly high in sub-Saharan Africa, have dropped dramatically too. Thanks to advances in science, retroviral treatments are available that mean this once incurable disease is now for many a manageable condition. Stroke deaths in the US have halved since 1990. UK road traffic deaths have fallen from almost 8,000 in 1965 to less than 2,000 today. And that's with many times more cars on the roads. Heart disease in the United States fell by half between 1963 and 1990, and it has halved almost again since. Cancer survival rates are also increasing. In 1975, cancer killed 187 per 100,000 of the UK male population. Today, that number's down to 125. In the US, deaths from cancer are down by a fifth since the 1970s. The type of skin cancer that killed my big sister Alice in the prime of her life almost two decades ago is no longer incurable. We're not only living longer, but are on average much better off than before as well. In Britain, we're more than twice as rich as our grandparents and a third better off than we were even 30 years ago. To be sure, there are still some pockets of deprivation, even in rich Western countries. But even the poorest households in America and Britain today enjoy household goods and a standard of living that half a century ago would have been the preserve of the rich. As a schoolboy recently arrived in the UK in the mid-1980s, I listened to a succession of gloomy geography and economics teachers droning on about Britain's apparent industrial decline. Yet post-industrial Britain is a myth. Manufacturing output has not fallen. It's higher today than ever before. Deindustrialized Britain, for example, makes more cars than ever before. All that's happened is that others make even more than we do. And when we produce what we do, we do so without the need to employ millions of labourers in factories on minimal wages. Output is up, despite the fact that a mere 8% of jobs are in manufacturing, compared to 1 in 4 in the late 1970s. Nor has America deindustrialized. US industrial output right now is twice what it was in 1980, and it's almost three times what it was when Lyndon Johnson was in the White House. So-called deindustrialization is not a loss of industry, but rather a reduction in the number of people it takes to produce an ever greater amount of goods. We make more per worker, which means we don't need as many people to toil for so long. In 1969, only rich people had television sets, since they cost the equivalent of a month's wages. Today they cost less than two days' wages. In 1951, just 14% of UK households had a car. Now 6% of households own four. Most homes in the UK didn't have central heating in 1970. Now almost all of them do. Ah, but people in rich countries might have grown richer, I hear you think. But what about those in poor countries? Actually, the poorer countries have been growing rich even faster. So much so that countries that we once rather condescendingly called third world have been developing at a much faster rate than the so-called first world. With a handful of exceptions like Afghanistan, Syria and Somalia, almost every country today is better off than it was in the mid-20th century. 
the standout example of progress over the past few decades is China. In 1950, the average person living in China was not simply poor. They were poorer than their ancestors would have been 2,000 years before. The average per person output in China in 1950, according to Angus Madison, the economic historian, was little different to what it had been in AD 50. Yet since 1950, output per capita in China has increased by over 9,000%. The country, a home to a fifth of humankind, has gone from rice paddies to iPads in two generations. In the past decade alone, Chinese GDP per capita has risen fivefold, a larger leap in 10 years than China experienced at any time between the birth of Jesus and the death of Chairman Mao. In 1981, almost 9 in 10 Chinese were living in extreme poverty. Today, it's fewer than 1 in 10. China is now home to more billionaires than America. A country that was barely able to feed itself in the 1960s today spawns tech giants like Alibaba and Baidu. It's not just China either. In 1980, output per capita in India was $271. Today, it's over $1,500. Worldwide, average incomes rose by 57% between 1980 and 2015. Average income in Africa rose by nearly 70%. In fact, the whole world is on average much better off than before. In the mid-1960s, the average income per person on the planet was about $6,000 a year. Today, it's over $16,000. We're not only better off, but we all benefit from technologies that allow us to do things today that once only rich people were able to do. It's not just that fewer people had television. There was less to watch. In England in the 1980s, there were a mere four TV channels. Today, we have a wide array to choose from, plus on-demand streaming that lets you watch what you want, when you want it. In the mid-1970s, air travel was so expensive that people who flew regularly were referred to as being in the jet set. Today, the cost of air tickets is so cheap that tens of millions can fly. So many millions of middle-class Chinese can now afford to fly that China's having to build the equivalent of a dozen new Heathrow or JFK airports each year just to cope. In the mid-1970s, international phone calls were so expensive that Brits with relatives in Australia would save up to call them on Christmas. Today, my 10-year-old chats away with her cousin in Melbourne using a tablet on a Sunday morning. The cost is almost nil. Oh, and did I mention that the world's become cleaner and greener too? There were 99% fewer oil spills last year than there were in 1970. A moving car this year emits less pollution than a stationary car would have done in the late 70s. China's taken the Great Panda off the endangered list. British rivers and waterways are cleaner now than they have been for 200 years. Having been hunted to extinction, beavers are back living in rivers in England after an absence of almost a thousand years. Global CFC emissions have been dramatically cut, so much so that the hole in the ozone is disappearing. The earth is literally getting greener thanks to a naturally occurring process known as global greening. There's been a large gradual increase in green vegetation on our planet since the 70s. 30 years ago, the US produced 20 million tonnes of sulphur dioxide a year and emitted 34 million tonnes of particulates. 
Today, sulfur dioxide emissions are down to 4 million tonnes a year, and the amount of particulates has fallen by over a third. The evidence is overwhelming. We have high living standards, better clothes, houses and healthcare, and an abundance of material possessions and tools that no other age could have even imagined. So why are we constantly told that the world is getting worse? What explains the constant flow of bad news? Why the pessimism in public discourse? In almost every country, the vast majority of people continue to think the world's getting worse. In 2016, YouGov polled people in different countries around the world and asked them if they thought the world was getting better or worse. Just 4% of people in Sweden and 11% of Americans and 3% of Germans and a miserable 2% of people in France thought the world had been getting better. A separate poll found that 92% of Americans believe that global poverty is either getting worse or has remained the same. Even in India and China, two countries where progress has been pronounced and recent, almost half of people today think things are worse than they were before. Maybe we're just naturally pessimistic. Perhaps we're hardwired to see the downside. It could be that assuming the worst gave our ancestors some sort of evolutionary edge. If you imagine the worst, when it comes to whatever lies ahead, you might perhaps have a better chance of getting through it. Or perhaps our brains are simply wired and evolved to see the grim reality of the human condition as it actually was over the course of many millennia. As a rule of thumb, the further back we go, the more grim the human condition. That's going to be the theme of episode three. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you're interested in some of the ideas that I've been talking about, please do buy my book, Progress vs. Parasites. It's published by Head of Zeus and it's available on Amazon. I hope you enjoy the next episode.